Hello and welcome to this Tuesday and today's edition of QT News, Views and Spews. I'm Susan Hetherington and with us in the Spews room today we have... Danica Hill. And... Michael Scully. And today there's a few things that have caught our eye, Danica. Yes, what, there have what, been. what is... Uh, what are you having a bit of a spew about today? Oh, not a spew, but I've seen a few spews about a new cartoon about Serena Williams. Doesn't really die down that story, not yet. No, it hasn't. Can you describe the cartoon to us? Okay. Um, you've got Serena Williams in the foreground, sort of jumping up in the air, coming down on a racket. And then in the background, you've got the umpire talking with a concerned but very composed, slim young player. Yes. And he's just saying, oh, can you just let her win? Yeah. Um, now, Serena is is throwing a world-class tantrum. Right. Um, she's stomping on her racket. She's being all petulant and, and so on. Yeah. But that is not what has the social media world. And, and a, a couple of people in the spews room concerned. It is the fact that this is very much painting Serena, I think, like an ape. Mm. And it is it is playing to all of those really base racial stereotypes that um that people of colour have been fighting against forever. And I think that maybe we should have progressed Beyond this, beyond it, yeah. and and uh, Michael is our most recent immigrant from the the states. Yes. Um, what? How do you think this is would be playing out in the U.S. media as we speak? Oh, it would be explosive. Now, this is the. It, it appeared in the Herald Sun. Is yes, yeah. Mark Knight was the. Um, He's an Australian cartoonist, cartoonist, and the America American media is pretty much picking it up and Pick saying. Guess it was Australian just drew. Yeah, and well. I think I think it's interesting too because Americans are a bit more sensitive about that. Like Australians don't really get the clues. To oh, racial... we we actually still you can go down to Queen Street and buy a gollywog. I don't know what a gollywog is. Yeah, ah, uh, look I it up. Yeah, oh. it reminds me of there was an ad, a KFC ad, quite a few years ago now, and it got got like bashed in the American media, but Australians didn't really get why it was racist. There was like guy at the cricket, and there was a bunch of like Pacific musicians or mm-hmm. African musicians behind him, and he went and bought like a Kentucky big bucket of chicken oh, okay. and handed it out to them to yeah. like get them to be the, quiet and make friends. That's a byproduct of the film industry in the United yeah. States in the um, early years, 30s and 40s, when they showed people of color in film. They were often doing menial things or eating watermelon or chicken. And um, when they didn't have African-Americans playing black characters, they would have white Americans dressing in blackface. Um, and it, it became outrageous. It, uh, it, it, it became, by the 70s, by the 60s, it started to be called out by the 70s and 80s. It had been pretty much taken out of the American media culture for the most part. Um, The last big one was um, Ted Danson, who was from the TV series Cheers, Cheers, was married to Whoopi Goldberg, and during his appearance at the uh, the Hasty Pudding Festival at Harvard University, 
Whoopi was in the room and she thought it would be funny if Ted Danson uh, addressed these Harvard students in blackface and he actually covered his face in black makeup and it became the last real big scandal with blackface in the American culture. But that was 30 years ago? Mm -hmm. Mm. I mean, the thing about this is that Knight, the, the cartoonist, as, has says that he is amazed that she is just spitting the dummy, and there is a dummy there on the yeah. court, um, and stomping a record, and in fact that he is saying that she's being a petulant toddler, and that's what he was is is depicting, and he says that you know nobody complained when he drew a cartoon of Nick Kyrgios being uh, escorted off by the umpire held by his ears as um, a child might um, by a, a mother, a misbehaving child. But uh, I I think that he has really, really missed, missed mm. this. Yes. I sort of see where he's coming from because in cartoons it's all about exaggerating the emotion, exaggerating the features of the person right. drawing. Like that's their craft. And I think he's been doing it so long, he might not be able to see outside the craft. And also, like, how well are cartoons doing, newspaper cartoons? I mean, how much did he sort of want it to blow up? Hmm. Um, so, to create a, a racial controversy, either intentionally or accidentally. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, you'll be surprised by my candid honesty here. Yeah. I don't generally go to the Herald Sun every morning to see what their cartoon is. Um, so if that was his intention, guess what? You've won. And if any publicity is good publicity, yeah. you've won. But if you um, are trying to avoid being cast as a racist, uh, a racist. You, have, <laughs> you have not won. Um, really, it's, really problematic. It's... in. It's, it's a big fail, at least in American culture, this would be a big fail for racial sensitivity. Look, I, I think that if this was an indigenous Australian, that would be a very similar level of, of yeah. outrage and how how you can't see that that depiction, um, it is about race. Whether you want it to be about race yeah. or, or not, um, it absolutely is. Um, the, the depiction is... At best, unfortunate, yeah. and that's being extremely mm. generous. Um, another thing that has turned social media to a bit of a, a little dummy spit of its own overnight has been um, Predator um, and yeah. concerns about the casting of a sex offender again um, to play a scene with Olivia Munn. And then the reaction of her co-stars when she called it out and the, the treatment of her. What do you make of that? Um, it seems like a real Hollywood issue and I don't really have too much of a interest in following it around and running after whatever they're saying. <laughs> but I know just recently uh, her comments have been replied to in, by the director or... I think it's a developing story. It, it is. Um, Fox deleted the scenes from Shane Black's movie. Um, the registered sex offender was Stephen Wilder, Wilder Strigel, um, and he was in a scene filmed directly with Munn. She yeah. was. He's a, a friend of the director. She was uninformed. 
um, and obviously, obviously she was required to act act against him, uh, uh, with him. Um, the concern that you were expressing off air, Danica, was that um, yeah, you, that he has you, you do your crime, you do your time. Mm-hmm. Are you to be forever punished for that? What, can you elaborate on that thinking? Yeah, if the man can't have a career and can't have a job and can't earn money, oh, wait, what sort of situation is that? Yeah. But isn't that so, the point of a sex offender registry? registry because there's a history. It's more about keeping yeah. them away from children, isn't it? Right. Well, well, I guess it depends on um, what the sex crime is that you have been accused of doing. If it's not sure. a a, um, a pedophilia related yeah, crime, so I think then it was a fourteen year old girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I I think the saddest part of this story is that. Um, Olivia Munn clearly felt violated mm. by this, that her her um, her right to know was abused, that the that the pre the director had used his power over the situation to put her in an unfortunate position. She called it out mm. and as a result of that was standing alone at the at a film festival, was alone at, at media calls and really felt that um, if you like being a whistleblower, the call, call, calling the powerful to account and having an opinion, she should be entitled to have that opinion to express concern, but and expect some degree of support from her colleagues. I think they may not necessarily have to agree with her, but then they weren't the ones in the scenes with him either. Um, any thoughts on that? No, no, you can't really play down how powerful it is to just be rejected like that for her. No. It would be a really sting. I think that she feels that she's been traumatised twice. Yeah. That she's been um, finding out um, that she had been acting alongside this man was traumatic and then having her, her co-stars basically abandon her and going, you know, you take this, this is on you. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's uh, your controversy. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to distance ourselves by just um, staying away is really, really Yeah, but that sounds like that'd be the advice of their agents going, look, just don't. Yeah, yeah don't, don't, don't buy into this. Huh. Uh, I, I would have thought that in the, the, the Me Too world um, that people would have been more alert to this by now. Is yeah. no one listening? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I would like to shout out because I know that Sterling K. Brown would be a big follower of this podcast. <laughs> um, I, I, I would would like to commend Sterling K. Brown because yes, he wasn't with Olivia Munn, but he was also filming This Is Us, and I found out off air that neither of you are aware of This Is Us, and I am appalled. I think I've seen some ads, but that's about it. I haven't I, seen. I, I, I am setting homework, okay. and I would like you to report back on This Is Us. Okay. Tragic, <laughs> tragic lack of um wow. of of um knowledge in the space. Sterling K. Brown, who back to the point, there was one, wasn't there? Um, did support her virtually and say that she was absolutely right to um, bring attention to this this problem and, and so on and um, say, so yeah, yay, Sterling, um, mm-hmm. good for you. And the last one that we're going to have a little think about today is live sheep exports. 
Uh, can you bring us up to speed on that? Yes, the Senate passed to gradually ban live sheep exports. It'll be about five-year gradual ban, but it's got to go through the House after, and the House is pretty much saying, mm, that's not going to happen. Yeah, they've, they've rejected but it a couple of times. But the idea is there. The idea was there, and it's interesting. It's interesting that it's just live sheep, and with that they're also doing banning all live export into the Middle East in summer okay. conditions. So I don't know what the, I mean. The issue is, Australia is ship shipping sheep. Say that a couple times fast. Yeah, no, let's not. Yeah, um, this, this is a family sheep. podcast. <laughs> no shipping sheep. Um, yeah, the issue is that um, some animal rights groups have found some really, really disturbing footage okay. of sheep. Um, at the end of their long journey by ship to the wow. to the Middle East, because they are almost floating ovens in oh, um, in a Middle okay. Eastern summer, okay. um, and we've had problems before with live cattle exports yeah. almost as well. consistently. We are upturning problems with our live export, okay. and we're one of the biggest live exporters, so. Uh, yeah, it, it is a concern. It is very concerning and um, also quite difficult because when they have banned live exports previously, um, there's been quite strict ramifications on the farmers, and it's very easy, I guess, for city folk to right. to point their fingers and say, "We are going. We will not tolerate things that are going to right. radically." impact on your living when the the, the farmers themselves have uh, are very careful about the welfare of their yeah. livestock that if there is a problem the problem is not at the farm gate yeah. it's it's somewhere else at the at the, yeah. in the supply chain but yeah. the people that are paying for it uh, are the farmers and the farmers are in a bad way right now anyway they are in a very bad way right now and um, this is one market that has been helping sustain what they do. And that, that's problematic. Um, and, you know, a lot of the argument is saying, well, just slaughter the sheep and send the carcasses. But for a whole pile of religious and other reasons, mm-hmm. um, that's not possible right. either to, to for the Middle East. Yeah, also some cultures really won't eat old meat. No. They sort of need to see it bloody to be like, yeah, yeah that's a good piece of meat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not an easy question, but then... I don't think anybody can hand on heart say that it is okay to to put living animals in right. those kinds of of conditions. And maybe the answer comes on stricter, considerably tougher and enforced regulations right. on how they're transported, and not necessarily a ban. But attempts at that have um, have been pretty inadequate in right. the past, and. As you say, we've we've heard this debate before. Mm. Yeah. I remember when it like first started. Well, I don't remember, but I know when it first started, like nineteen fifties when we first started live export. And it was always meant to just be sort of a temporary industry mm. for the farmers to get back on their feet after a drought. They just kept going, and back then it was recommended to gradually phase it out because okay. it's technically not humane. Was what their report was back mm. then. 
but we've just always kept going because the farmers have always needed live export to survive. Yeah, and and that's why I think that um, a bit of a reality check is needed that, okay, it is a difficult problem, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily an all-or-nothing solution, which seems to be where the stalemate is, that um, you have, at one end, animal rights activists that will not tolerate it in any way, shape or form. At the other end, you have those advocating that saying that there is no place for a ban. And I think that, like most things, the sensible middle ground is is usually is, is yeah. usually the better and, and normally the silent the silenced voice in this. Anyway, uh, anything else we need to be talking about today? Do you want to talk about 9-11? I mean, it's... Oh, of course, yeah. We, we, it is. September yeah, the eleventh. Eighteen years later. Eighteen years later. It's kind um, of a heavy issue to take up the end of a podcast. But. I don't know. You got someone here who is not in my living memory. Nine no. eleven. So. No. I get that. Um, and uh, you were working for a major news organization at, at the time. I was at CNN. Yeah, I was in the newsroom in Atlanta. Um, I'd moved down. I'd moved down from New York City about a year before, and it. It just, you could see the culture just change before your eyes as we were reporting what was going on. Mm-hmm. In, in what way? Can you well, give a for instance? The, um, uh, that night on September 11th, after, you know, the sun had gone down, of course the buildings mm. had collapsed, we started taking, we had a call-in show. We just put a radio mm-hmm. personality in front of the audience and said, call me and tell me what you think it. And the, the narrative, the public narrative had gotten angry, nasty. There was a sense of... Uh, victimization. I think that the whole American psyche had shifted. Um, it was it was a it was a change culturally for the country. Yeah, and interestingly, um, from my point of view, my my masters is was directly as a result of September 11. Hmm. My son at, the, at that time was age three, hmm. and um, my husband had come home from bridge hmm. at eleven o'clock at night of the time and said you will not believe what what is playing on the tv now because i had gone to bed so naturally i got up had a look got no sleep that night you know watching the the footage so i was well aware by the time that my three-year-old got up what was on the the television a lot of people um that i met at childcare had done what they always done was let their kids turn on ABC Kids in the morning and the mm. kids had seen a whole lot of that looped footage of right. planes flying into buildings right. and, and so on. And the the narrative that came out of that was um, twofold for me because on one hand, as a mother, I strongly believed that you should have a right to control what your kids right. see on TV, that had that been a movie... There is no way that you would let a three-year-old watch it. But, right. but because it's news footage, um, mm. it is exempt from those kind of classifications. Yep. And as a journalist, I also strongly those believe went on, that, yeah. that the, the strongest story of, of all time really needed to be told and yep. needed to be told without censorship and in, in real time. Mm. Um, which then led to my master's, which looked at uh, who and how do you control inappropriate yep. news footage. And it looked at things like... One of the things that um, parents were most disturbed about was um, things like the news promos that are often played 
between kids' programs in right. the afternoon. The ABC has since banned them. Mm-hmm. Other other broadcasters don't. It asked news officials about why some news organisations made decisions to follow bodies all the way to the wow. ground yeah. and why others didn't, and in real mm-hmm. time um, how they're making those decisions right. um, and how when you're live streaming, how you can actually... Even if you you're, you were mindful to censor something, yeah. how you can do that, you know, whether just saying this might have disturbing content is is enough. Yeah. But the the studies showed that children who were nowhere near the the twin towers were showing equal levels of trauma as mm. those that were at ground zero because in a preschooler's mind, older kids are okay. Yeah. Um, in very young children's minds, two things happened. One was that um, the parents thought that it was it didn't really matter because they didn't appear to be paying any attention. They were just sitting on the floor yeah. playing with trucks and whatever. They didn't. They weren't interested. They weren't engaged. They weren't watching. So they didn't really think they needed to to censor. Um, and and, the, and this idea that some of it they just. Uh, weren't getting the problem with preschool minds is that there are bits that they understand so they understand fires and they understand buildings and they understand planes they don't understand looped footage right so it when they saw over and over and over again Mm. planes flying into buildings um that inherently made planes seem scary and tall Mm. buildings seem scary and i i interviewed people here in brisbane whose kids were doing things like screaming because dad was about to go on a business trip and when questioned said planes crash all the time into buildings and Mm. another child started uh, had regressing behavior and started wetting the bed and throwing tantrums and that was because mum works in a in a tall building in the city so they knew just enough to be to be traumatized by it um but not enough for parents to be aware that that was what was happening and it it was it was really interesting and what i've found is that digital technology since has actually inadvertently probably put in a, some of the restrictions that i was talking about like dedicated news channels yeah. like dedicated children's channels so you will know that abc3 abc kids will never be interrupted by news footage right. at at the time we didn't have um that kind of yeah. um facility and so the kids that were expecting to get Sesame Street or Bananas and Pajamas or the Teletubbies or whatever it be yeah, is happen. is suddenly getting something else. Yeah. Um it it, it changed the world in so many ways. Right. Um even if it's things like the what we can and can't take on planes right. anymore and the number of items I've had confiscated right. at our airports in the years since that would do no one any damage right. ever. I'd like to see you hold up a plane with a blunt nail file, but right. you know, better to be safe than sorry, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. So, indeed, a somber note. Um, what's what's your understanding of it? I mean, as someone who is too young to to really get it. No, I would have been four, I think. Yeah. yeah. Or three. I don't remember it at all. I think. I don't know why. Maybe it's when you. Maybe if your parents are talking about it. They've got it on. They're watching it. I don't think my parents would be the type to actually do that in front of me. Mm. I think I was probably at Mariba at the time. I was probably don't think I ever sat in front of the TV when I was living in Mariba. So mm. 
No. It could have been someone uh, like that. Yeah, so it, it did... Your parents probably know um, more of how it you know, mm. changed the world than we did, but it, it absolutely did. All right, as you say, Michael, a very sombre note to yeah, finish to, to, today on. But you're, no, no, you're absolutely right. We do need to go there because it is um, an important anniversary. Oh, well, that's us for today. Catch you tomorrow.